Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, talking bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day. I'm coming live from my den under the stairs here at Dirt Towers, Bolton, UK. I'm surrounded by my stuff. If I wheel back in the chair and turn 180 degrees, I can face my small collection of board games. I've been rediscovering Battle Cars, the game of deadly driving, and the carpet is covered with little red damaged squares. If I spin back round and look to the left, there's my ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll give it a tap. Whoa! The dial has spun round, back round to Stellar Star in Star Crash, the best astro pilot in the galaxy. Surely there must be some galactic jurisdiction about the standard issue clothing for convicts. Surely. Surely no right-thinking planet would confine their miscreant in nothing more than a bikini. Surely. Is there anyone we can write to? If Stellar Star has returned, then it can only mean one thing. We're returning to Traveller. I'll just turn to the great library of RPGs and uh, just pull down the file on uh, Traveller RPG, which we covered in some detail in episode 3. A Patreon, Fred Kish, has made a request for us to talk about our experiences of playing the Traveller Adventure. Last year I put an ad on the grognardfiles.com that went something like this. I need a crew for the March Harrier, a 400 ton subsidised merchant that serves the world's of the Aramis Trace. The subsidy is owned by a blind trust based on Regina and the crew will have a broad discretion in selecting cargoes, destinations and charters, providing basic financial and contract obligations are met. The March Harrier has been running the assigned route for over five years. It's built up a credit of 80 weeks and can begin operations outside of the Aramis Trace at any time. Presently, the ship is in dock at a spaceport in Lidor, the capital of Aramis. 22 sessions later, between September 15 to July 16, we completed the campaign using Roll20, the online tabletop gaming platform. In this episode of the podcast, we'll open the box on online gaming to provide a grognard guide on how to use the Roll20 space with its webcams and its virtual tabletop and rolling dice. I'll also provide a potted guide to the travel adventure. This episode will spoil the adventure if you intend to be a player in it. Although, to be honest, as you'll see, chances are that you'll forget the minor details. I'll be opening the referee screen 
on some of Blythe's favourite moments from the campaign. If you've listened to episode 3, you'll know that Blythe has unresolved issues with Traveller due to his early experiences. I'm not sure whether playing the Traveller adventure helped him come to terms with the game. I'll let you decide. I also have views from other players such as Ed, the amnesiac in the shed and others who have contributed to the postbag. Ramblers, let's get rambling. Open box! So Open Box is the section of the podcast where we look back on our first experiences with the game and reflect on the games we played. Um, we haven't got our rose-tinted spectacles on today because we're touching a bit more of a different topic. We're strictly 21st century boys because we're looking at online play. And uh, one of the most encouraging experiences and um, factors of running a podcast has been the feedback we've been getting from um, old-time gamers and how they've gone back to um, playing um, uh, after listening to uh, all this bobbins. And so after reading stuff, collecting stuff, talking about it, listening to podcasts, there comes a point where you just have to play. Play's the thing. Isn't that true, Drew Blythe? That's very true, Drew, yes. So I've got uh, Blythe with me. Uh, and it is, a, it is a thing, isn't it, about grognars, about us old-timers, that we've... It's difficult to get a game in. It's difficult to uh, get the logistics of it because of uh, family life and scheduling time together. And I suppose what online gaming does, it allows you an opportunity to play without all the palaver of getting people physically together in one space to uh, play games. So you kind of have those stolen moments at times where no one else uh, is there to mind you. So, blindly, by my calculation, We've actually done twice as many game hours this year as we did last year. And that's largely down to online games. Yes, yeah, it will be, won't it? Yeah, yeah. online gaming. Um, I think you're right. It's a funny one because you're right in that when you've got a, a real life like we have now, and we didn't when we were 16, we didn't really have a real life, so we could play endlessly, couldn't we? You mm-hmm. know, We should have been revising for all levels as they were then, GCSEs, and we weren't. But now we've got a life and jobs and families. It is difficult, as you said, to get a game in because it means going to someone's house. Um, but with online gaming, it doesn't. You know, you can be uh, doing the washing up at 10 to 9, and by 9 o'clock you sat down to uh, yeah, well, play a game of role-playing. So that that's a really good aspect yeah. of it, I think. Well, what I was doing on a Wednesday, so when we had our regular game of Traveller uh, every fortnight on a Wednesday... I was actually at uh, eight o'clock. I was with the kids uh, at the swimming pool, mm. trying to get them, get them together, <laughs> show them in the back of the car, uh, so I could get home at nine o'clock to start playing again. Yeah, yeah. Um, which had been impossible to do if I was going. Uh, yeah, to, you can kind of involve. You can deal with family commitments, um, and also get a game of role playing in which is a great thing. It doesn't, you know, when we play around the table at Ed's, it means that that night is taken out completely because it's a commitment, like going out for the night, isn't it? Yeah. Commitment. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think online gaming would replace that completely because there's something, there is something to be said for being out for the night, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for that. But you can't do that too often if you've got 
family commitments. No, Whereas you, online gaming allows you to, as you've just sort of hinted at, get more games in. Um, on the other hand, though, I think there's a an interesting, another interesting aspect to the online game in that you have to be very clear with your family that you are playing an online game. Yeah, yeah. So, admittedly, uh, when we played Traveller from 9pm till 11, um, it, it was good in that up to 9pm, you could be doing stuff at home, you know, walk the dog, do the washing up, make the tea, whatever, and then suddenly sit down, and within five minutes, bam, you're, you're having a game of role-playing. But what you've got to be very clear about is with your family, I think, is to say, I know I've been around tonight, but nine o'clock till yeah. 11, I'm playing Traveller, or whatever game you happen to be playing. And so, could you just leave me alone, please? Yeah. I can't I can't walk the dog halfway through. I'm, I'm in the house. I know I'm available, but I can't do things while I'm playing this. And I know we've both sort of suffered from from that uh, with our families, you know, particularly kids. You know, my, my son sort of appears at half past nine and wants to, you know, <laughs> borrow a tenner. Yeah, I, say, I say borrow a tenner. What he means is can I have a tenner? Yeah, That's yeah. what he means as a teenager. Um, yeah, and, 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 it is true. Somehow, though, it's more palatable for the fund prevention officer that you, you've not left the building. Yes, you've not left the building. You are, you, you are you're a, still but, but, the... but it's an odd thing because it, it, what I think it does is it creates the illusion of being available. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you're not available. No, no. I'm not available. When I'm playing, when I was playing Traveller, and, and we've had the D&D games on a Saturday morning, haven't we? We've yeah. had some of those, which are a bit longer. I've had to be very, very clear with people that from 9.30 in the morning yeah. till 1pm on, on this particular Saturday, I will be playing D&D. And uh, please do not interrupt me, yeah. disturb me, leave me alone. So it's sort of the illusion of availability. Yeah. But what you've got to be very clear with your family is, I'm not available yeah, yeah. I may appear to be available, but I'm not available. <laughs> the, the, uh, to my children, they always say, uh, are you going meeting your friends under the stairs again, Dad? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, stay away. You don't want to see them. <laughs> no, weirdos. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it's that thing as well where, um, you know, on a, particularly on a Saturday morning, you've got family life happening around you. I remember at one point when we were doing Minds of Fandelva, I was doing one of the best NPC voices my uh, goblin. Yes, yeah. goblin. Yeah. Yeah. They're my caves now. They're my <laughs> caves. And uh, Eddie's daughter said, what the hell was that? That's all we could hear off stage, wasn't it? <laughs> but the odd thing is as well, when, you, uh, when, when you're at someone's house and there's a domestic disturbance, shall we say, so one of the kids wants something or yeah. whatever, it disturbs the whole game. Um, so everything stops. What's odd about online gaming is one person, there'll be five people on screen, and yeah. one person will have some domestic disturbance. So one of the children will pop in and say, oh, you know, Dad, where are the crisps or something? Uh, but everyone else is carrying on. Yeah. And that can be a bit strange because you've got, in a sense, four or five separate universes, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> separate domestic universes on screen. All with converging. All oh. converging, trying to focus on one thing. But occasionally things will happen. Uh, in one particular place and as I say that's that's the thing about you have to be very clear that once yeah. you're playing an online game it, it, you have to kind of really it's like being at someone's house you have to lock yourself away and be left to your own devices yeah. there's no you've got to be clear with your family this is what I'm doing leave me alone early on one of the things that blighted some of our games was the technical 
elements, wasn't it? Yes. So what you've really got to do is have... Uh, so we had five people playing. All five people have to be at the optimum level for it to work. Yes, yes, that's yeah. true. You need a good, you need a good internet connection. Yeah. So that, that's that's the first bit, isn't yeah. it? So you need to, if your Wi-Fi is a bit flaky, you're better plugging yourself into the wires. Yes. Um, yeah. Or getting very close to your yeah. router. So yeah. that's that's one thing, isn't it? Um, otherwise, you end up sending like uh, a cross between Metal Mickey. I mean, Steve was uh, sometimes he sent like Metal Mickey or a, a fax machine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah weird noises whirring around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other the other element that helps we found as we went on is headsets, isn't it? Headsets yes. and microphones. Yeah, a headset. I mean, not not necessarily. I've I've not got a headset, but you've got earphones. You know. Yeah. Because you, what we found, I think, was if if you're laptop is receiving your voice and emitting voices you get that feedback yeah, you, get, you get that weird loop of feedback whereas if you plug you know you, you don't need a microphone necessarily I don't use a microphone no, not no. many people do uh, you don't need a microphone but putting a headset on to hear people is you know a good yeah. thing it also means you know teenage daughters don't hear your goblin voice which is no bad thing. It's protecting your children from uh, from yeah. Dirk's goblin voice. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing more disconcerting though than getting that echo, echo back back. Yeah, you get your voice you echo talk, talk, back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly as a games master, yeah. it really takes you off your stride yeah. as you're describing something. Yeah. You can hear yourself relaying and it's, back. And it's a funny one as well if your Wi-Fi connection and as well having a decent having a decent computer yeah, decent that's laptop a third, that's and, a, and a webcam I mean that's that's the thing yeah. remember you need a webcam I forget about that because obviously most laptops now have a webcam built, built in, in but not yeah. necessarily so yeah. you do need a, a webcam of some description um, but what's strange about failures of the technology is that if people disappear I mean we had a few games of Traveller where someone disappeared midway through a game never to return for that session because yeah. the Wi-Fi went down or the computer crashed or something strange happened, um, which is odd because it's a little bit like having a session around a table where somebody just dis up, stands up and walks out of the building and doesn't come back <laughs> yeah. without any warning or explanation, yeah. which can be quite difficult. You know, if the sword, you know, your sword arm is raised to strike down the, the villain and at that point your internet crashes. It disappears. You disappear, yeah. Yeah, and you, and you picked up on another element. So we've said about um, Wi-Fi connection. We've said about headsets or, or earphones. Um, the other element is uh, a decent computer with good processing power. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I when I first began, I had a, an older laptop, and it just got really, really hot yes. and bothered. Yeah, um, I was the same. I used an old computer, um, and that was the same. It, it struggled a bit with it. Um, but now I've got a newer laptop, and it's great. I mean, we've probably painted a, a, a strange picture now of people that have never tried it. But, but by and large, what, what's surprising is that if you do have a decent Wi-Fi connection or a decent internet connection and, you know, a decent computer, it, it works remarkably well, doesn't it? Does, it? Yeah, it does work yeah. remarkably well. Are there a point where it becomes invisible? Yes, yeah. yeah we've um, had games, haven't we, where the technology's worked really well, the sound's been good, everything's worked um, and as you say you almost forget that it's online um, it's great getting everybody um, together however it is different than sitting around the table mm. the dynamic 
is yeah. different. Yeah. The actual uh, channel or medium of playing does affect the way that yes. games work, and you have to work them differently. Yeah. I mean, I've I've only had uh, a couple of instances of being a player, so just from a player point of view, what's what's the experience? It works better when you have quite clear objectives as players about what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I think the reason for that is that when you are presented as players with a series of options, as you often are in role-playing games, there's that problem of people talk over each other a bit, you've not got the body language, you've not got that those subtle kind of nuances that when people around a table are having a conversation are there, they're not there because you're just a little stamp postage stamp sized face on the screen so it's difficult sometimes to have very long or complex discussions about where yeah. to go, so for example if you were playing a game of Cthulhu for example um, that involved lots of investigation lots of options about who to go to, where who to talk to, where to visit, what to research I think that could in in my experience be a little bit dangerous in terms of it might drift off a bit get a bit dull get a bit confusing yeah well that I think, kind of thing I, th- I, th- I think that's true um I th- from from my thing from observing uh, players playing I think it's much less of a, a team uh, mm. activity um, as we've described it, people are coming from their own worlds in their own setting, so they tend to play their own game. Yeah, so yeah there's a danger as, of that, yeah. As a games master, um, trying to coordinate that, you all the time trying to make sure that everybody's involved yeah. in each other and they're not just merely addressing you as a games yeah. master all the time yeah. and that there's some discussion between, uh, between them. I mean, I've actually introduced a caller to some... Yeah. So I've actually yeah. said, right, uh, appointed somebody, right, you, you give me the instructions, but just decide between you what, you, what mm-hmm. you're going to do next. Um, just to encourage that kind of debate yeah. and discussion that you would naturally get around, the, around yeah. the table. I think it's got better as you get more familiar it with it. It gets easier, it does get easier. But, but I do think the best games we've had, or the best sessions we've had, are the ones where there's been a cl- series of clear options and um, certainly when we were playing the traveler adventure uh, i often found that you as games master started to adopt an approach of right okay uh, you're here there's a there's two or three options there's two or three things you could do you could go and see this guy you could go and do this or you could go and do that what are you going to do and that worked a lot better because it focused everyone's minds on what the options were Yes. Uh, now around a table you don't often have to do that but for some reason on online it felt better when that was there because there was that problem of as I said just a kind of drifting like you said people perhaps in their own little box thinking their own thoughts not really expressing them quite as well like a bit of a communication barrier in some strange way how yeah. to kind of how to describe until perhaps you've played a game like that but I suppose I suppose what I'm saying is if, if you ran a game and said, right, this is going to be a complete sort of sandbox game, right, you're in such a city, go and make your own adventures, go and do your own investigations, do your own whatever, no matter what game it was. If you did that online, I think it would be quite difficult for the players. Whereas the other option of saying, okay, 
you've got some defined goals here. So you're still making decisions, but it's a little bit, not railroady, but you've got some clear options here. So yeah. here are your options, discuss them, yeah. and then come back to the Games Master. And that approach seemed to work better than an open-ended approach of just, yeah. you know, for example, in Traveller, right, you're on such and such a planet, what do you want to do? I think online that is fatal yeah. because it, it descends into kind of a babble of people talking over each other. I, I, think, I think that's true because um, at the time I, a time of playing and time of kind of composing those um, adventures, I think time constraint was part of it because we played, yeah. played for two hours. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to set the scene mm. and get to the um, dramatic beats of the um, mm. adventure quicker, haven't you? Because yeah. Yeah. you can't really afford to have the drifting around, uh, chatting with yeah. the patron, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. You've got to really kind of bounce to the points of action. Yeah. Um, so time constraints part of it, but you're right. Um, the dynamic of um, players talking to each other and interacting is slower and encumbered as mm. well, isn't it? Although, although as you say, we've got we got better at it, I think. Yeah, and, and maybe. Maybe if we did play a more open-ended game now with the players we've been playing with, it might work better. I don't know. Maybe it's just practice. Maybe it's just getting to yeah. the hang of playing in that way. I think as a games master, because I've mainly games mastered um, these, haven't I, um, <clears throat> when we've been playing, um, it takes a bit of getting used to. It takes a bit of getting mm. used to, because what you're faced with, if you can imagine this, you're faced with... Um, four or five people just staring, <laughs> staring not, at not at you but no. slightly to the side because they're looking at somewhere else so the camera yes that's right the camera's yeah. above the yeah, screen yeah, yeah. and they're kind of looking and you're kind of thinking as you're talking and explaining something you're thinking he hasn't moved for a bit <laughs> Is it, what, what's he doing what's he looking at he's looking over there so it's all these things are going through your head yeah. as you're kind of explaining yeah. things He's not moved. He's not moved. It, it, <laughs> I think you think that I feel that as a player as well because you, people who don't move much, you assume the screen may have frozen. Yeah, you do, They're not yeah. really there. Yeah, <laughs> just a face looking back at you. They're not really there. He's falling yeah. offline. It's just a frozen image. It's like looking at. <laughs> it's like looking at four lizards. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Kind of looking at you, but not looking at you, just in case. Yeah. You what know. you need people to do is fidget. You need to put a fidget. I'm yeah. quite a fidgeter, so yeah. I'm all right. I look like I'm still there. <laughs> so, so that element, and I think early on, I mean, particularly, at, um, I've mentioned previously about the Stormbringer game that I ran, I felt like I had to talk to overcompensate yes. yeah. for lack of player mm. involvement. So because I wasn't getting anything, yeah. In return, so around the table, you're getting feedback all the time. There's a little. This is this is what I was saying. I think you become very aware of those nuances of personal interaction yeah. that that you take for granted face to face. You're not even aware of them face to face, but when you're suddenly online, there's something slightly odd, and that's what it is. I think you're missing those unconscious clues, clues, eye contact, body language, just that. F- Thing that you're not really conscious of when you communicate with another human being face to face, but you, they are missing online, and it does it is slightly unsettling. Yeah. I know that I ran a game of Cthulhu uh, online, and I found it. This was back when we were just getting the hang of it, yeah, just and I found it really difficult, really difficult to create any kind of suspense oh. or atmosphere that you might need for Cthulhu. Uh, and it fell a bit flat 
I felt. Yeah. But I think the reason for that is because you're not around a table in a room, you lose some of that sense of, you know, the yeah. players lose it from the games master and the games master loses it from the players. And if you're trying to create that atmosphere, it's diff a difficult trick to master. Yeah. Um, I think I think now we've probably mastered it, yeah. but it takes a while. Yeah, and I think... Um, I think, you, I think I've got better at it um, in terms of coordinating it. So, mm. you know, as you've mentioned before, I've found that it's best to kind of throw things out there. Yes. Let you toy with it. Yeah. And then just intervene to say, right. Right, what are you going to do? Where's yes. it going next? Yeah, absolutely. That 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 works quite well, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it is a, a learning thing. I mean, it just... Um, it, you know, we're giving the impression that it's um, it's not a very fulfilling experience, but it is. I think you just have to accept that it is different. You have to accept it's different, and you have to get used to it. It's it's a much more enjoyable experience now than it was at first. I think the first few games we had online, we were a little bit sceptical of it. We were, we, but we, we tried doing. We started off with by doing things that were just far too complicated. We tried yes, doing yeah. um, a RuneQuest six game, which um, yeah. was quite complicated. And the combat is mm. um, com complicated. Keeping track of the bookkeeping yeah. Uh, yeah. is more difficult because yeah. you've got all different facilities, such as character sheets, etc., built into something like Roll Twenty. But mm. we haven't used those. No, and it's a bit unwieldy. Um, to have all of that on screen, I think it is. I mean, Roll Twenty's Roll Twenty's really good. I mean, let's say product placement in the podcast, but Roll Twenty's good because, um, and I think it's worth talking about Roll Twenty as well because it, it's it, we tried we tried things on Google Hangouts, didn't we? We did, yeah. Um, but the problems with things like that are it's like dice rolling. You know, how do you roll? A roll 20 is good because it rolled dice and everyone can see the dice roll. And yeah. That kind of thing. And, it, and it also gives you like a virtual tabletop. So yes. you can scribble plans and yeah, yeah. scribble yeah, plans yeah, yeah, on yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and as we've got more advanced with the Minds of Fandelver, we've got this fog of war kind of thing. So yeah. it can reveal yeah. areas as you're going into different rooms, it reveals it. And I think uh, recently they've currently taken the license haven't they from uh, Wizards of Course yes. are actually um, yeah. producing modules that are compatible with Roll20 so you know you can buy it ready yeah. made but I think it's worth mentioning that's how we play it because I, I wonder uh, you know how it would be different if you just did it on Skype yeah, you know, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have all those facilities, would you? No. Of dice rolling and plan, you wouldn't have all necessarily have those facilities. That what we're using is a custom-made website that's made for role-playing games online. Yeah, and that brings with it, uh, you know, others may be available, but uh, yeah, that brings with it certain benefits for the purposes of doing what you're trying to do. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm not sure how it would work if you didn't have those things. It might be a bit odd. You were, I don't know, rolling dice on Skype and pointing the camera at the dice. Um, but that said, you you think you're right in that some of the things might become a bit unwieldy, um, and I think that's another big factor with online play. That game systems that involve a lot of bookkeeping uh, and are quite detailed are tricky. Yeah, are a bit tricky. 
you know, traveller well, was... It was, all, it's all right. And I, I think um, the way I was playing it was light on its feet. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, we're yeah. going to talk a bit more in depth about how we ran the traveller game, but it probably uh, had it more in uh, keeping with fate yeah. than it did with yeah. uh, uh, Traveller, because I played a bit faster and loose. It wasn't one for Traveller purists, particularly no. towards the end. No, no, no. And, and we've played, I mean, we've played 5th edition D&D, online that's worked quite well because again it's it's a relatively relatively simple system yeah yeah um whereas runequest 6 was lots of crunch <laughs> a bit of a nightmare isn't it yeah you know, trying to run that online bit bit tricky i'd like to have another go at it yeah and um i'm due to do, have a game of runequest 2 yeah uh, online um, and I'd like to see how that works because stormbringer was all right because stormbringer is stormbringer uh, all right stormbringer is quite was was but again, Stormbringer is is more basic role playing than, yeah. than RuneQuest. Yeah. So you, you're missing certain complexities and things uh, like that. Yeah. But because I do I do think that having a, a simple system that's quite fluid uh, works better online. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how crunchy systems would work. No. You know, no. maybe it's just us. I don't know. But the way it feels. To me, though, the best element of it so we've already said that it's increased our capacity to play games in these stolen moments it's like having an affair isn't it <laughs> an affair with a role playing game yeah, yeah. Uh, you know uh, stealing the moments uh, mm. uh, yeah. in, in, in those quiet corners of the day when nobody cares but the the other the best the best thing about it is something that we've craved for for 30 odd years <laughs> and that's to play with different people yes and other yeah. players yes and that has been by far the best revelation of it it's, yeah you know we've had people joining us across the country we want pe- people who want to play mm. with us yeah. um, from all over the world yeah you know and that is great recently i've had to do a ballot for patreon uh, game so every six months running a game online for patrons. That's on a ballot and turn people away. It has never been known to no, turn that people is away from quite the table. remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. To turn people away. And it's funny, isn't it? It's still a peculiar hobby from that point of view. If you if you exclude social media and online stuff, it's still a peculiar hobby because you don't really meet that many people who play role playing games. No. You really don't, you know. We'd, we'd be hard pressed to uh, yeah. muster people together in yeah. Bolton and it's locally. Quite, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. quite a big town, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, it, it is. It is still a strange thing that you get fooled a bit by social media because you don't know, go on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and it's full of people who play role playing games. But of course, they're drawn from all over the country or all over the world. So it seems it seems a bigger community now than it did back in the eighties, but. It probably isn't, you yeah. know, it isn't. I know our experiences at Dragon Meat, for example. Yeah. Uh, I think we commented on this in another podcast. We went to Dragon Meat expecting it somehow to be bigger and vaster than Games Day back in the 80s. But it wasn't. It, wasn't. it was kind of the same. Yeah, It yeah. was kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there is still that problem of finding people to play. And, and on, online gaming is, is great because, yeah, yeah you, you can find other people. Yeah, and that's and I think we should leave it on that because it is great. It's, it is great. Yeah, I mean we've talked about some of the complexities of it and tricky bits of it, but when but put it this way, we're not going to stop, are we? No, we're going to keep on playing online. 
because like I said at the beginning it's feeding the habit it there is comes a point there yeah. comes a point where you just have to play you have to you do you have to play it's no good talking about it anymore you've got to do it <laughs> okay you're going to come back and talk about it for a bit more I'll talk about it for a bit more <laughs> yeah it's the second we... best thing talking about it <laughs> when we talk about the travel adventure yes thanks Blythe alright Potted history there's a great moment in the Tony Scott film True Romance where Christopher Walken is torturing Dennis Hopper for information. He says, I won't do the voice. Now what we've got here is a little game of show and tell. You don't want to show me nothing, but you're telling me everything. So it is with traveller supplements from back in the day. They want to show you everything, but they tell you nothing. And it's the same with the traveller adventure. The 160 page uh, trade paperback was much bigger than the usual digest-sized little black books, packed with apparent detail, but when it comes to playing, it often leaves a referee scratching his or her head, wondering what to do. Written by Frank Chadwick and Friends, it was originally released in 1983 as a companion piece to the newly formatted rules. The makeover of the rules, in the form of the Traveller book, was distributed by Prentice Hall into bookshops in order to extend the reach beyond the usual gamer audience. With illustrations by Liz Danforth, Steve Crompton and others, the production had a great visual appeal. For the purposes of uh, our campaign, I used the Mongoose reprint that's still available. It standardised some of the illustrations and they're not quite as good as the originals but it's made some of the text more readable too. In the process they've managed to transfer some of the glaring errors from the original. For example, there's no means of getting from one level of the building to another at the Church of Isney. But these are minor quibbles. The book provides everything that the referee needs to create adventures in the Aramis subsector. A backwater, almost out of the reach of the Imperium, where rival megacorp shipping lanes are vying for trade routes on the edge of the Varga extents. The last time I attempted to describe the plot of the adventure, Blythe suggested it sounded more like an enterprise allowance scheme, so I'll try better here. Aaron Ashkeskur is a high-level employee of the Megacorp Takira Lines. He's the head of the Vermeen at the Covert Security Operation. He's concocted an elaborate switch of high-powered meson guns destined for a Navy base. He has a buyer for the weaponry, the mercenary pirate band of Varga, known as the Kafurseng. He's put the details of payment and the drop-off arrangements in a communicator disguised as a brooch. There's also a smaller subplot concerning stern metal and a chancer known as Banerjee. They're using the hapless trader to lead a smuggling operation to bypass Imperium restrictions on ore used in spacecraft. There's actually enough in this campaign to keep the story going on for years. 
However, I'm aware that there are examples of the campaign running over a convention weekend. The supplement reflects the spirit of the age, a period in the 1980s where there was a desire to create a sandbox to explore. There's additional patrons, there's, a, there's a descriptions of different planets. But there's also there's a need to have a competitive experience needed in the 70s too. And an evidence that narrative is important. And there's moments in this campaign where it feels really railroady. OK, without further ado, let's meet the team. OK, first up is Captain Olaf Eli Thompson, played by Steve, otherwise known as Captain Ollie. Taciturn, practical, reasonable and often ignored by his crew. He descended into madness and eventually stripped of his captaincy by human resources due to his persistent casual absence caused by psionic meltdown. Pilot Frank, played by Joe, was neurotic, allergic, but eager to please. There were moments when Frank needed to bluff his way out of the situation and he got through it, but came out in hives due to his anxieties. He just wanted his moment, his moment of bravery, his moment to shine, and that came in the finale. Engineer Franco, played by Ben, was corpulent, wise and a crack shot when it was needed. He was keen to strike a hard deal and not afraid to face down senior representatives when he needed to. Brett Mouser, played by Eddie, the ship's medic. Well, as you'll discover, he was rubbish as a medic. Anyone taking low birth on the March Harrier put their lives at risk. But he was a master tactician, and when they were in trouble, it was usually Brett that pulled them out of it. Bert, played by Hal, the mild-mannered steward who pleaded peace and harmony at the beginning but ended up unleashing hell and damnation, shrewd and ruthless. Finally, Gavudzen, the Varga, played by Blythe, quietly controlling and, well, well, don't hear it from me. Let the dogs out. Games Master Screen. Hello, Blythe. Hello, Dirk. So... Uh, when we first got together in 2010 after our period of deep freeze, it was to play the big campaigns from back in the day. Um, so we had Masks of Nyaflatep. Yes, we played that. Uh, Borderlands. Yeah. Griffin Mountain. Yeah. And so last year I became a bit obsessed with Traveller when we did the podcast. And so we started to play the big campaign, the Traveller Adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now... What we're doing here is taking our nasal, navel gazing, nasal gazing, nasal gazing, either, either, either one, really, <laughs> uh, to another dimension here. Yeah, because uh, we we're getting down to the fluff, aren't we? The molecular structure, <laughs> yeah, fluff, navel fluff. <laughs> yeah. So what we're going to do in this section is look in detail at the traveller adventure and uh, the things that happened and how mm. it went. Yeah. Uh, uh, playing um, so we played this online as we described before and um, we should also say that we've actually played it uh, two times previously 
Yes, this was the third time we played it. Yeah. Uh, Did that help? No, because it was it it was entirely different. Uh, there's only there's only one bit that we'll come on to. I'm sure. Um, that was the same, or had a, had a semblance of being the same, uh, but the rest of it was quite, it's quite a bizarre experience. That my memory's not that bad, it's not that bad, and it just felt very, very different, you know, um, from the other times that we played it. But I think, and the reason for that is, and I'm sure you'll talk about this, uh, is that like all traveller adventures. Uh, it's a bit sketchy in places, isn't it? Yeah. So there's a lot yeah. of scope for... You look at that two ways. You can look at it, you know, I've given you some money, Games Designers Workshop, and you've given me a sketchy adventure. <laughs> can I have my money back? Or you could, in a more positive way, say that it gives you as a Games Master the opportunity to flesh things out, uh, uh, emphasise some bits, not emphasise other bits, and develop certain bits here and there. Uh, but when you do that, it does make it feel very different, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a bit different from the um, normal traveller adventures. So when you think of like Twilight's Peak and uh, mm. all those other ones. All the others. All the other ones. <laughs> names the names of Ludos. The names of yeah. Um, they, they were very sketchy. I mean, mm. in terms of resources, you pr- probably get more with the traveller adventure yeah, yeah, yeah. than yeah. you do with some of the others. I think the challenge from being a referee, um, it, I think it was challenging... Mainly, I'll, I'll put it in one word: hmm. motivation. Yes. Okay. And I think that's true for for players as well, yeah. actually. Yeah. So I think with the whole adventure, it was based around this idea that you were happy being space truckers, and that you were driven by the desire to make as much money as possible, hmm. and to um, finance the ship. Um, the travelling you did and uh, to get sufficient cargo yeah, yeah. to move and that, that is your prime motivation there's one problem with that motivation though isn't there no. uh, uh, with, with a role playing game that focuses on getting money um, it's not real money no, no not real money is it no. so uh, you, can't, you can't do anything with it <laughs> it's like getting lots of gold pieces you can't do anything with it and it's particularly true in Traveller because at least in, in other role-playing games, the acquisition of money can lead to travel, uh, to, to character advancement. So in, in RuneQuest, you can buy spells. In travel, you can't do anything with it. No. You, you can say, people, I, I can remember when we played it, people would say, oh, great, we're earning a million credits. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> what are we going to do with that? Is that enough to buy a bigger spaceship? No, it's not. Oh, right, okay. Well, we'll put that in the bank. Well, I think originally, <laughs> I think part of it is down to the format that we use. So, you know, we were meeting every fortnight uh, for two hours. Mm. And um, I suppose I didn't want that two hours to become dominated by an accountancy exercise. Yeah, <laughs> one to become accountants. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted adventure in our travel adventure. Yeah. And so as a kind of compromise, I did initially think that in between sessions that we'd have a kind of play-by-email where all the kind of trade elements were dealt with mm. and resolved. Yeah. And uh, listener Sam Vale actually sent us a, a PBEM, a play-by-email, mm. yeah. that kind of did that so that you were commercial um, commercial truckers in space and you know, it, it, all the kind of motivation was to kind of get as much... Uh, yeah. value from, from the journey as possible but it I, do, I 
I don't think you can do that. And I think the travel adventure was it, all the all of the different episodes seem to start with the words um, the players are at a loose end, <laughs> or the players are unable to get cargo, mm. or uh, the players are stuck in this uh, space station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a we've discussed this previously in the Traveller podcast, but there is a problem generally, I think, with motivation in Traveller for player characters because, as we said before, there's no alignment, there's no cults, there's no sense of good or evil, there's no sense of much. So you have to build in um, motivations to have them there because they're not naturally, they're not naturally in the game. No. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really build them in no. particularly well. So as I say, the way I um, structured this um, around the two-hour session was to see it a bit like a, a TV serial. Yeah. Now, there's good things and bad things about that. I think the good things were, were that it was very um, task-focused, as you said previously, and um, it always, always seemed to end conveniently on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And there was always kind of a, a narrative drive yeah. and focus to it um, because of that format. Um, I think the difficulty with it for me as a, a games master, when I reflect on it, it ended up being like a TV serial in that it were the sum of its parts were um, better than mm. the whole. Yeah, and that's true. There were some great sort of episodes, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, that were, that were good in themselves, but the overarching plot is a little bit weak. I mean, I had a I had a particular problem, didn't I? Because I played uh, Gavudzen, mm. who's a Varga, and he's not part of the crew. And you have the choice, don't you, of him being an NPC yes. or a player. And does, does it recommend that he's a player? Yes. It recommends he's yeah. a player. And Gavudzen has a brooch, uh, and this brooch is actually a communications device, which he's stolen from uh, a gang of Varga Pirates, a big organised crime network. The Kafoursing. The Kafoursing, yeah. That all sounds very exciting. And it, and it is it's quite exciting, isn't it? That's kind mm. of exciting element of it. But what I found really, really difficult here as Gavudzen was that you have to... You're almost, you're almost in cahoots with the Games Master to some extent. I mean, you're not in cahoots because you don't know the plot. You're not, given, not privy to any particular special information. But you're sort of in cahoots with the Games Master in that you have to make the players interested in this brooch that's being pursued by various parties. But what you find is it's very difficult to do that because they're not really interested in it. They're no. not interested in it at all. I, there's nothing to stop you selling the brooch. No. And, no. and to some extent, there's, there's an element of sense in that. Do you know what? We've got all these people trying to kill us for this brooch, which we don't understand. We can't crack the code. Tell you what, let's just give it to someone and not die. You know, and there's an element, and it's difficult because Gavudzen, as a character, is is presented as someone who wouldn't sell the brooch because he's got the kind of Varga status thing, and he's wants his status back in the gang and all this kind of thing. But that's difficult to push across to the players who are a crew, a crew like you say, of space truckers making money. But why why are they taking him on? Why they why they take this Varga on board who brings all sorts of trouble? Why would they? They only do it because I'm a player character. Yeah. Because it's Blythe on the screen and they don't want to be rude and say, oh, we'll just kick Blythe out. Sorry, you can't play anymore. Yeah, yeah. So it's a slightly artificial 
And it would, have been, it would have been more difficult if that was an NPC because then you would be more liberty. More inclined to, to kick him out, yeah. yeah. Exactly. He was this, this Gavugian character, let's just get rid of him then. So the way they worked really was like a series of one-shots rather than a campaign. Mm. And um, prior to recording this, we kind of went to the um, people involved who played with us and asked for their feedback. And I think, um, although you know there was a lot of love over it because many of these people who uh, joined our group um, had not played for a long, long time. Mm. So that was a really good thing. It was really good to get people playing who um, Hal had never played before. You know, he'd never yeah, played uh, right. role-playing yeah. before. But the rest, uh, rest of the gang um, uh, were playing after a hiatus of 30-odd uh, years. And um, there was a lot, of, a lot of love that. But I think what was missing, uh, and I think we all uh, concede, is this sense of character development. Mm. So yeah. um, because it didn't feel like a continuing story, um, because you had those two-hour slots um, where you're in media res, um, character development didn't really happen. Um, Gavudzin was probably one of the most fleshed-out characters. Yeah, The yeah. rest were really caricatures. We had great fun with the caricatures. Yeah. You know, the neurotic uh, pilot. Um, <laughs> the medic who never made a, a medic role. Yeah. For, fake doctor. Is that fake. was my view. I stick to it. You know, fake medical certificates. Never never made one medic role in the whole game. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, obese uh, engineer who uh, was a crack shot and always looking for the book. Yeah. Uh, um, so, um, so it was like these characters, but... Um, it, it did feel like that a TV serial thing, and that's that. That's what was mm. sacrificed, wasn't it? Yeah. We had great episodes, uh, but the the sum total of the series was somehow mm. uh, felt like something was missing. And I think the backstory, the the overarching plot. You see, if you compare it to something like Mass of Nathletep, which has this kind of overarching plot of you know the rise of Nathletep and the end of the world and that kind of thing. Although it's episodic, so you do London, you do Egypt, you do various other places, um, there is a sense in which that overarching plot is ever-present. and yes. It's always in your mind that something's going on. You very quickly pick up that something's going on. Uh, you're up against a deadline. There's some great conjunction of the stars or something like that. So you have that sense it's always there. So even though there's in Mass and Lathotep there were great episodes, it was always there. Yeah. I think in Traveller Adventure, it wasn't there. Yeah. We had great episodes, but there was no real sense of the overarching plot. Yeah, well, the plot was really um, two things, wasn't it? So the fir first thing was that these uh, Maison guns had been um, mm. stolen by some entity and um, they were somewhere being used for something. But you don't really work that out until well into it. Yeah, You absolutely. see, that, that's one of the things. When that becomes apparent and you get enough information to, to work that out, it, it takes off a little bit because then you think, all oh, right, so someone's got these really powerful weapons, that, that's a bit worrying. But there's a long period before that where you don't, you don't yeah. know that. And then the other subplot is this idea of uh, Banerjee, mm. who is um, uh, doing a smuggling operation for um, stern metal. Um, but that's kind of a, a, has no bearing on the overarching plot. No. So there's like two twin plots. One gets resolved in the uh, at the end of the um, second act, and then yeah. in the third act, the um, the stolen maison guns really comes in, doesn't it? And that's yeah. where that plot. And you're right. 
it, and it's tough to um, do an elevator pitch for the actual conspiracy. Yeah. To, to, to describe the conspiracy <laughs> is quite complicated. And it's, it's also a bit dull. Yeah. Dare I say it? The conspiracy bit of the travel is a bit dull, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. you think, well, what, someone's stolen some big guns and all that. And what, and what does it matter to you? <laughs> what does it matter to you? We come back to that, don't we? Yeah. That actually it doesn't matter much. And even for Gavudzin, it doesn't really matter much for Gavudzin particularly. No. So it no. doesn't matter for the players, the rest of the players. It doesn't matter. No. You know, so it's hard to hook them in, isn't it? Yeah, you know, if, if they were kind of, I don't know, intergalactic policemen or something whose job was to stop that kind of thing, then you'd think, ah, well, yeah, there's a motivation there, but there isn't really, you know. Yeah, maybe that's the point. I don't know. Maybe that's the intention that you can ignore it. I don't know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I don't think so because there are times, and you know, I think I've said this to you that. Um, it's a bit railroady. Mm. So, um, because there's a kind of assumption that Gavudzin is going to be a key player, um, some of the things that happen to Gavudzin have to happen mm. in order yeah. for the narrative to continue. Yeah, progress. Yeah. Progress. Which I felt uncomfortable about, so I untangled those bits. Mm. Um, so the expectation is that you will follow this yeah. procedural narrative yeah, yeah. Yeah. to its conclusion. So... Okay, with all that um, bobbins out of the way, talking about the overall picture, let's look at some of the specifics mm -hmm. and uh, have a roll on the table. We need to erect our referee screen here. Yeah, go on. Up it goes. 2d6. 2d6, so it's a d66 again. Boring dice roll. Okay, and it's 1 and 6, so that's 16. And it comes back to the brooch at Lido, so mm. it's the opening um, session. Not everybody turned up to this one, did they? Um, but the idea no. of this one is um, you have to break into the um, Lido <laughs> Museum. Yes, that's right. Um, well, you find you find Gavud and don't so Gavud. Yeah. I think I don't think it was the first session, was it? I think it was the second session, right? Uh, because there was the introductory bit, and then there's a bit on Lido where you where you find um, Gavud and he's been beaten up by some men in black. Some shadowy figures have beaten him up. And they're after this brooch, but he's pawned the brooch, hasn't he? Yes. For some, because he's kind of down on his luck, and the pawnbroker, he's gone back to the pawnbroker. Yeah. Pawnbroker. Would they have pawnbrokers in the future? Oh. I mean, we'll come on to this, won't we? Yeah. There's, there's instances, I think, in this opening adventure where you find a business card and a wallet. Yeah. A business card and a wallet. This is. Well, this, I, is, this, is this is tens of thousands of years in the future. I, I imagine it as more of a, a, as a, a futuristic cast generator. So in the window they've got an electric guitar, an orbital sander, and a, and a brooch. Yeah. Yeah. And a brooch, yeah. Well, they've not got it in the window, have they? Because he, cause he, the, the pawnbroker sells it, he, gets, he sells it, doesn't he, to the yeah. museum. Yeah. Um, and so the, this, this, this particular episode, Gavudzin recruits the crew to break into the museum yes. to... Um, liberate his brooch but again we come back to the question of motivation why on earth would they <laughs> some dodgy varga that you find says tell you what fellas I know you're a bunch of space traders and I've no experience in burglary would you mind helping me steal something from a museum no problem Mr Gavudzin we're on, we're on the case yeah. why <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm glad they did yeah, but of course it would have ended quite soon. But at the same it? time, I think it was Hal and Eddie who turned up to that one. So it was just two players and me, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was two two crew and me. 
And it, to be fair, it worked quite well because there was the idea that they were off drinking and maybe were slightly drunk when they agreed to yes. burgle the museum, which what, does work quite well. What was quite good about um, um, Brett and Bert, so Eddie and Hal's character, <laughs> is that they were the only salaried uh, members of the crew. Yes. So whatever happened, they didn't get any they cut. Get any cut of it, did they? No. They just got a salary. So maybe they were motivated to, to rob a museum. I don't know. <laughs> but, but you know, joking apart, it does come back to that thing of, in a way, they agree to do it because I'm a player character. Yes. And, and it's just part of the game. This is part of the game. And if, yeah. you, don't, if you don't liberate the brooch one way or another... The, the break-in was uh, interesting because you, know, you, you can use a number of different strategies. Mm. And I think back in the day, this is one that we, we remember. This one I remember this bit, yeah. yeah. I do remember that. Um, and I think um, when we did this and Eddie was uh, the referee... Um, we did some kind of distraction during day, daylight opening mm. hours yeah. and um, stole it that way. Yeah. Um, but you chose to do a break in at night, didn't you? Mm. Yeah. And what was interesting, um, something that um, we wouldn't have considered back in 82, yeah. is that instantly um, Bert came up with a strategy of hacking. Mm. into yeah, yeah, yeah. the computer yeah. network, yeah. Uh, which had never crossed our mind. Right then. That's what the new hacking was? No. Really, then? They did. No. I think it was, but it wasn't something you imagined you could do. You know? So, yeah, yeah, interesting. Give me a kind of modern perspective, a 21st century perspective on a 20th century science fiction adventure that yeah. doesn't have hacking in it. And we did a lot of that in the game, actually. There was, there was, it, I think it was interesting that there was a lot of that kind of thing of, oh, well, can we uh, hack into the comms of the other ship? Can we yeah. hack into this? Can we hack into that? Can we use the ship's computer to tell us something about this? Um, and there was an inclination, I think, on your part to kind of go along with that because it seemed reasonable, because yeah. it seems reasonable now. Yes. You know, yeah. So you've got Google. You've got, it's like the ship's computer. Yeah. ship's computer has a library data. Well, we'll type something. Oh, there's nothing. There's nothing about that planet. Well, you couldn't really say that, can you? Because Google now... Yeah. It's all there, so why isn't it there then? Yes, yeah. There's an odd thing, I think, about translating a vision of the future from what? From the 70s, when it was late yeah. 70s? A late 70s vision of the future being played sort of some way in the future. But I, can't, I liked that, and I know that a number of uh, pe- people playing uh, enjoyed that element of it, is that. Although I did allow some things, other things, I said, mm. well, this is a vision of the future from the 70s, yeah. so yeah. everything's a bit clunky. You know, it's space yeah. 1999, isn't it? It's that kind of... It's like you mentioned, like uh, the business card, um, the wallet, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Everything was very uh, physical. Flashing lights on. Yeah. Consoles with flashing lights. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> I think we had a final scene, didn't we, in the finale, where you entered a room where it was like just a mainframe computer yes. that filled acres of... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next one. Uh, 21. Posadi. So, Posadi was a planet yes. that you uh, visited, and the motivation for visiting this planet, well, one of the motivations, was that um, Holwood um, grow, grows there, and Holwood is the material that the brooch is made out of. So, I think the primary motivation was to try and find out. Um, 
what mm. properties it had and that kind of thing. And uh, Posad is a low-tech planet with a the- theocracy uh, running the affairs of the planet. Um, and um, it, this was really the first time that you were in a kind of alien environment, wasn't it? Mm. Quite Because all the rest have been kind of spaceporty. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed this one. This is probably my favourite episode, actually, for Sardi, because it was that thing of there were aliens, there were these little monkey creatures that were like aliens. Yeah. And we think we fought, fought a bear thing that was an alien, a space bear. You know, yeah, it wasn't yeah. a bear, but it looked like a bit of a bear. We had a, we had a fight with some alien monsters. There were the little monkeys that had special healing powers. Um so I don't know how much of this you invented. Did you invent the healing powers? Are they, is that in here? Yeah, well, part of the um, shtick on this uh, planet is that the Anolas, which are like a monkey, like a monkey race, and there's a very detailed um, description of the um, ecology and mm. uh, how they live their lives and everything. Um, the the whole shtick is that they um, kind of befriend the crew mm. and the crew become a bit besotted with them. Yeah. And the idea is is that then you take the monkeys and you took them into the village and the uh, the sacred monkeys. They yes. say, they know yeah, it's yeah. a sacred. That's right, yeah. And so <laughs> therefore uh, they had a particular affection for uh, Bert again. Bert and um they uh, announced him as some kind of messiah. Mm, that's right. Because he'd yeah. been chosen by the enormous <laughs> then locked him away. <laughs> now now because now, because um, I knew I was dealing with uh, battle-hardened uh, role players who are cynical in their natural um, mm-hmm. tendencies, yep. I thought this is going to be impossible to pull off. You're not going to fall for monkeys that are. No. Be, I remember um, Eddie's uh, Brett saying, "Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> yes, don't let them come with us." Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You know. yeah. I think we were all of that sort of opinion. With the exception of perhaps one of us, yeah. The exception of let's just let's get rid of the monkeys. <laughs> I think at one point we just quietly killed the monkeys when no one's looking because the monkeys followed us around, didn't they? They did. Because they, they had an around. attachment to to Bert. But I knew that um, you would be instantly suspicious of them mm. unless I souped up their abilities. Yeah. And one of the abilities that they had was to heal. Yes. And so you all kind of got used to the idea, useful. became useful. Yeah, become useful. And yeah. you kind of then forgot that they could be dangerous yeah. and they followed you around on a number of your travels, um, even fought to get them through the quarantine, yeah, of, uh, sm- right. smuggled them well, in. Well, they did, became, they became like walking, walking healing potions, didn't they? So they when you, you were hit, and I think uh, to, to harvest the horewood, big trees we had to blow them up didn't we yeah we couldn't cut them down because the wood was so hard and some of the we had some explosive fun didn't we, we did. explosive <laughs> disasters that left some of us uh, badly injured so yeah we were grateful that the monkeys healed us and, yeah and, and, and you're right that meant they kind of latched on to us but i think there was a point when a few of us twigged that these things were becoming a problem yeah but bert hartle playing bert uh wouldn't really buy it, would he? No, he, he entered into the role of being the Messiah until the point when he was locked away by the sort of religious leaders yeah. that kind of said, oh, well, you're the chosen one, you're staying here. And he was <laughs> taken prisoner, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> then he had a very different view of it. <laughs> and I suppose that's where the um, 
pattern of the campaign mm-hmm. um, started to emerge. <clears throat> so what I what I found was that the episodes, um, I found this in Matthew Afflatap as well, is that there was um, for similar beats. So something would happen, mm-hmm. and then you would have to rescue somebody, yeah, yeah. or something. And that yeah. this this was one of the yeah. first that yeah. you know he he was trapped and so he had to make yeah. an audacious rescue attempt. Yeah, see the plot kind of develops and then there comes a point where you hit a brick wall of sorts that you need to resolve yeah. in some form of conflict. Yeah. yeah. But I like Basadi because it, it felt and I think I think sometimes traveller does lack this. It felt like science fiction role playing. It felt like one of those old 1960s Star Trek episodes. Yeah. So you know Star Trek where they land on a planet, don't they? Um, it's always a bit low-tech because obviously they're using the sets from, you know, Cleopatra or Western, something like that. They're always yeah. landing on a planet where it's incredible. It's like, it's like the Wild West, isn't it? Yes, that's the technological level they're at and they have all the costumes and sets. But it felt like one of those kind of episodes where, you know, you land on a planet it's a bit weird, it's a bit low-tech, there's some aliens, there's some religious people, and it all goes a bit wrong. And in some ways, I suppose, it was a little bit cliché. There was a touch of life of Brian about it, wasn't yeah, yeah, it? Was, the, yeah. it was the, well, certainly the way I played it. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> but there was, there was an element of farce about it, because, of course, it's a bit of a cliché. You know, you're the, you're, they think you're a god. Oh, great, ha-ha, well, that means, you know, they're going to lock you in a tower. There was a bit of cliché about it. But it did seem like, science fiction role playing yeah, we yeah. were on another planet where there was a different culture and there were alien monsters and alien creatures and some weird stuff going on that felt odd whereas as you say earlier and in later ones you were in a spaceport and everything was just like I don't know yeah. like, like a business role playing game yes. of sorts yeah. so I really enjoyed Posadi because it feels it was exciting it was action packed but it also felt like science fiction yes yeah. and that was what was good about yeah. it and of course, he, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> 32. And this is uh, Aramanx. So this was uh, part of the uh, Banerjee plot. Mm. Um, you had Horwood to sell, and you'd arrange to meet with delegates of um, stir metal uh, to sell them Horwood. And in the middle of the transaction, the... Um, well, really, war breaks out and mm. the building is torpedoed and you find yourself in the middle of a, a war zone and you need to find your way um, um, across country, um, grabbing anything you can um, <laughs> <laughs> to uh, get to some neutral territory. And uh, Banerjee um, offers um, neutral space in Renitsa across the border. Um, so you have to travel long distance to uh, Renitsa. So it's kind of a now get out of this uh, mm. one shot yeah. um, convention type thing, really, of you know mm. that things are going to get thrown at you yeah. and you've got to escape from it. So how did, how did it feel playing it? Well, again, it, it's, it's quite exciting. It didn't feel quite as science fiction-y as Basadi. But it it had it had that kind of action that was was interesting and exciting that something yeah. was happening. Which again, there are, there are bits of travel adventure where that's not the case, yeah. where you can negotiate in you know a percentage on some cargo, which you, is part of you thinks, oh come on, 
Can we shoot something? <laughs> Can we shoot something? Well, that's, I, I felt that um, compulsion, because as soon as it was introduced in uh, Posade, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. That as soon as you give you a flavour of actual adventure, yeah. um, you kind of crave for more as a yeah. player, don't you? you I've got more. that sense. You crave for more, and I think as a games master, it's good to see players responding to it. Players respond to it, don't they? Yeah. Players respond to get out of that situations. Uh, yeah. And even if they're not the most original situation, because again, I wouldn't say it was the most original no. scenario. It is literally just, oh dear, you're in a war zone, you weren't expecting that, you're ill-prepared, you're going to have to survive and get through it. Yeah. Um, so it's, again, it's not particularly original, but I suppose it demonstrates how sometimes with role-playing games, they don't have to be original, do they? No. Because the difference is you as a player are in that situation. So whilst it might be a bit of a cliche or not very original, if you're in that situation, it becomes exciting. Yeah. Uh, and it's good to see people responding to that and I suppose making this, decisions. This episode was good as well because it introduces the thing, so the Varga um, yeah. mercenaries, yeah. and the ruthlessness yeah. and ferocity yeah. in battle. So you got a sense of the mm. danger that you were facing in terms of um, what would come up yeah. in exploring the Maison Gun yes. uh, thing. So yeah, you yeah. knew what you were up against. Yeah. And um, so that's, that, that's it. And I think there was a very tense moment. Um, I think you might have missed this one um, where um, there was a Mexican standoff when they eventually got to the mines, the stern metal mines, and mm. saw. And but saw I remember Hal pulling a gun. Yeah, he pulled a gun. He yeah. pulled a gun on somebody and held it to the head. I think what was interesting about Hal. Uh, was yeah. he Hal's what 21 21 21 yeah. and he'd never played a role playing game before had he yeah. at least not a tabletop role playing game and what was very interesting about Hal's trajectory as a player was he, he went from being a very reasonable cautious player to sort of slightly insane <laughs> but I think it's because he realised the beauty of role playing games where you really can do what you want Yes. You can do what you want. Yeah. And he decided in certain points to do what he wanted. And sometimes what was doubly interesting was, uh, and, and I think um, Haramanx is a good example, he did something there that the rest of us as cautious, seasoned role players would think that's insane. Don't, yeah. don't pull a gun and point it to someone's head and say, right, you know, he, <laughs> I'm going to shoot him in the head unless you do what I say. Because you kind of think, a game master's going to bring you down for that. But he did it. Do you know how it worked? It worked. It actually yeah. worked, yeah. Uh, and that's the kind. There's a kind of beautiful, not naivety isn't the wrong word, but a sense of. <laughs> I'm playing a role playing game. I've never really done this before. And what I've worked out over the last few weeks is you can do whatever the hell you want. Do you know what I'll do? I will do what I want. Yeah. And when you're a seasoned role player, sometimes you lose sight of that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, you play by the conventions. You know of. Yeah. Oh no! Don't do that. Don't do that at this point. Don't do that then. We'll do that later. And playing by conventions, where someone who's never played it before, just just did stuff. Yeah. He just did stuff out yeah. of the blue. And he had a good, uh, <laughs> good. It had a good instinct of how to kind of push the yeah. buttons and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Get it, get it uh, yeah. to accelerate the action really. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a really good tense uh, Mexican standoff, <laughs> which was then broken by the Kafosang unleashing hell. Yeah, um, and a high speed chase. I mean, um, I think I, I think what, in some ways, Aramanx, to be a bit critical of travel adventure, I think what Aramanx demonstrates as well is how the Kavuzeng should have been brought in sooner. Yes, 
I think, I think if you'd have brought them in sooner, it would have been much more exciting and it would have focused people's minds a little bit. So if, if yeah. the players had known that the brooch that Gavudzen's got is being pursued by these vicious gangsters, yeah. vicious space pirates, if that had been early on, I think people would have focused more on the brooch because the brooch lies at the centre of it all. And yet it was incredibly difficult. Because I, I think we had a running joke between ourselves, didn't we? That yeah. I mentioned the brooch in every session. Yeah. I think every session I would say, anyway, but this brooch I've got, it's a bit strange, isn't it, that people want it? And everyone would just go, yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose. Anyway, and talk yeah. about something else. <laughs> Whereas I think if, if you brought the Kavurzeng in earlier, yeah. if, the, if the adventure brought them in earlier, it would focus yes. people's minds yeah. on what needed to be focused on. And, and it's very, very difficult to get players to focus on that brooch. Yeah. It really is. It really is, yeah. Okay. 66. Oh, this is a fumble. Oh, dear. So this was... I mean, I was dreading this um, episode before we even did it. Um, but this <laughs> is the, uh, the famous uh, travel adventure episode yes. uh, in Zilla, the planet of Zilla. Which is a planet that's known, renowned for its. Uh, it's got a high law level, so it's a very bureaucratic planet, and you have to fight, get certain waivers and landing permits mm -hmm. in order to um, um, transport some wine and open up a trade route. Mm. Now, <laughs> now we've played this three times. We've played this three times, and, and this is the bit I remember the most from the three times we've played it. Yeah. Um, because I think when Eddie ran it, and we were about, well, we were about 13, 14 yeah, years 13, old. Yeah, 13, yeah. He just sort of more or less ignored it. Yeah, he hand-waved it away. I'm not uh, yeah. I'm not having you chasing around these uh, <laughs> office buildings in search of a piece of paper. And I think, I think it's fair to say at the time, we thought, oh, well, that's a bit of a shame. That, that might be quite interesting. Yeah. Until the second time we played it, which was at a guy called Tom's house. And Tom, Tom's, Tom and some of those players were, were a bit older than us, weren't they? Yeah. And they, he played it. He ran it straight. So he ran it. We, we were stuck on that bureaucracy planet for weeks. For weeks. And weeks. Yeah. At that point, we thought, I think Eddie made the right decision. Yes, I think so. Because it was so boring. So the idea is, is to... It's, it's, I mean, it's designed, um, I think as we said in the uh, previous episode when we were talking about it, the whole thing's designed to get the players really frustrated yeah. and end up turning a gun on the yeah, officials. Yeah, turn a gun, yeah, 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 absolutely. Shoot, sure your, shoot your way off, yeah. basically, yeah. Um, but the, the other idea is, is that you kind of role-play each uh, bureaucrat, so you, you would have... Um, um, underlings and um, middle managers before you could actually get to the person who could um, sign off your papers. Yeah. So you needed to wine and dine officials, mm. take them out, offer briberies. Some people um, objected to briberies. A, a complicated web of going from one place to another <laughs> to get this form, that form. Now, now I had an idea of turning it into like a game, so gaming it. Mm. And um, I set up the list of what you had to achieve and the idea is that we'd have a series of dice rolls to see how this yeah, would play yeah, out. Yeah. But after 20 minutes, <laughs> I got fed up of uh, hearing, <laughs> hearing my own voice. <laughs> Even you got bored of your own game. Yeah. <laughs> and so I gave a, a buyout option. You could buy out of the... Uh, <laughs> bribe your way out of it by... And 
And you know what? We chose to buy a buy our way out. Do you know why we did that? Because it's not real money. <laughs> I come back to that point. It's not real money. Yeah. This is going to cost you fifty thousand credits. Oh, is it? How many credits have we got? We've got five hundred thousand. Oh, we'll spend, oh, it. We'll spend it then because yeah. it's not real money. Yeah. There you go. It's easy when it's not real money. Yeah, you know. But I think what's interesting about the bureaucracy planet, which we've done three times, and it's fair to say in all three instances, it's well, in different ways it's failed. If you excuse the excuse the joke, it, it looks good on paper. It does look. Good. <laughs> it, does, it does look good, but it does it does look good on paper, and it looks like yes, I see. It it's going to frustrate them. And they're going to turn to, as you say, pulling a gun or breaking the law to try and get off the planet. Um, that, in theory, sounds good, but it doesn't work. No. It doesn't work because you either get a situation where... The, the, the problem is with it, I think, the natural progression of that adventure is that you do try and do it legitimately. So even if you end up shooting your way off the planet, eventually you're going to spend several sessions trying to do it properly aren't you yeah and then when you end up shooting your way off it feels it just feels like you wasted your time you just wasted a lot of valuable role playing time messing about when you could have yeah. done that at the beginning yeah. but generally speaking you're not going to do that at the beginning because you you're led to believe you've got a chance yeah. it's going to be a bit tricky but you just need to see this person and see that person of course as it progresses you realise oh, hang on the guy we were supposed to see it's not him it's his boss can't get in touch with his boss, so we've got to do this, do that. So you naturally will play several sessions of doing it straight before you turn to frustrated methods. Yeah. And so it doesn't quite work. I don't no. think it quite works. No. no. You know, three it's, times we've tried it, three times it's failed. It needs a better referee than me to pull it off, I think. I mean, the, it it has got um, it has got something quite delightful. It's got a um, wandering bureaucrat table on it. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favourite things. Right. Okay, let's do the last roll, and it's eleven. Now, for me, this was my favourite element, and this mm. is I've called this fun in space. Yeah. Um. So uh, there were various points in the uh, in the overall campaign with um, episodes that were set in space yes. on the on board the March Harrier, the spacecraft. And to me, they were the best. So one example was when you had to uh, rescue uh, a stricken uh, wreck of a ship mm. um, and you needed to go in your zero-G uh, vac suits yeah. and yeah, go yeah. and try and rescue the crew yeah. and respond to it. And I think it worked well because it was online. And you got that sense that you were you got the, the claustrophobia of yeah, it because yeah, yeah. you had communicators and uh, travelling through the the ship, um, and the reason why I enjoyed it is although you know we had great fun in some of the other episodes and they're really good we laughed a lot of the time yeah oh yeah, yeah. did a lot of laughing a lot of laughter and it was a bit madcap but I think the ones in space are the ones that were the most tense, mm. and so there was another episode um, in space where there was a stowaway but there was also a glitch on the uh, ship's computer (laughs) so they weren't sure whether it was a stowaway (laughs) a space vampire I think that was suggested at one point (laughs) could be a space vampire I think I might have said that (laughs) whatever one of those is could have been one of those yeah so So travellers missing 
Yeah, somebody. <laughs> I think I suggested space vampire because somebody <laughs> said, "Well, could it be, you know, like an alien or something?" Well, you know, that guy that you last had in the uh, lower birth, he looks a bit suspicious, <laughs> and then he started getting his suspicious nice Ferrari lower birth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it ended up being a journalist who was on the trail mm. of the uh, on the trail of the brooch, uh, which was something I put in. It's not actually in the uh, in think, the campaign. I think you're right about this. this again, the good thing about the uh, the rescue, the zero g rescue of the stricken ship was uh, again it felt science fiction. Yes, it felt yeah. science fiction. I, I think all the best bits of the travel adventure felt like you were playing a science fiction role playing game. There's always yeah. that problem with traveller that it lapses sometimes into what what are we doing here? Yeah. Like a bureaucracy filling in forms. Like the apprentice. Or yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you're tasked today. Yeah. Go and fill in all these forms to apply for a landing permit or something like that. Doesn't feel like science fiction. Whereas floating around a ship that's been hit by a missile and there's you know, debris and cargo floating around and that feels like Gravity, doesn't it? Yeah, like the film Gravity, yeah, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. And the way that that was staged was very much inspired by gravity. Yeah. So there was like cargo tethered and dangling like yeah. a, a, yeah. some kind yeah. of metallic jellyfish, yeah. and you had to kind of crawl yeah. your way through. Yeah. I think I think it's fair to say that the best bits of the traveller adventure are the bits that feel science fiction. Bits in zero g, bits in the spaceship, Posadi, the strange planet with strange religious people and monkeys. All those things feel. And there is a, a moment at the end when you're in um, the trade war and working for Belindies where you get to have proper dogfights, proper fights. Yeah, yeah, that, and that was exciting. I mean, again, I, I'd never been... I always worry, I think I've said this in the Traveller podcast, I always worry about the, the game within a game. So a spaceship battle just feels like a spaceship board game rather yeah. than a role-playing game. Um but it was kind of exciting, that, yeah. intense, like you say, that, that sense of you're a space pirate waiting for a spaceship to come out of light speed and then attack it and, you know, yeah. board it as well, do stuff like that. That was exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you feel, you realise you feel incredibly vulnerable mm. in a ship yeah, yeah, in the yeah. middle of space yeah. with yeah. Uh, lasers and cruise missiles. Oh, there's hit locations, isn't there? Yeah, it brings a little bit of RuneQuest brought in there. Yeah, in the same yeah. way that when, when you roll to the hit location in RuneQuest, you're thinking, not my head, not my chest, yeah, whatever, yeah. please, no. It was a bit like that with yeah. that, wasn't it? And I think why we never had those uh, back in the days that the um, original Games Designers Workshop rules were really complicated. And, yeah, they were. Um, needed a protractor and we could never do the maths, but the, the Mongoose uh, mm. version is very light on its feet. And, yeah. Uh, uh, more based on fun. So, <laughs> more based on fun. <laughs> the Game Designers Workshop model wasn't, wasn't based on fun, was it? No. It wasn't. We're not supposed to have fun with it. What are you thinking of? We've, we've, yeah. divide, we've rewritten the Traveller rules so that now you can have fun. Well, thanks. So, <laughs> I think overall we have to say that um, we've got a lot of satisfaction from it and it probably will go down in history as a, a great achievement to complete it. Oh, yeah, yeah. We saw it from the beginning to yeah. the end. And I think as well, we've, again, you look at a lot of these campaigns from way back and you forget, this is, this is what? 30-odd 30 30 years old. 30-odd years old, 30-plus years old. Um, and so some of the flaws, some of the things we're kind of moaning about now, you know, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that, 
you, you've got to cut it a bit of slack, haven't you? Because yeah. it, it was a new thing. It was a thing these people were grappling with a campaign for Traveller, you know. Yeah. We've invented a game and now we're doing a big campaign for it. And, you know, I think we, we said that about Massive Athletep. I think you said things about that, yeah. that there were bits in there where you thought, it doesn't quite make sense, this. Yeah. And I certainly, in Borderlands, although Borderlands is great, there's bits in there that you think, are they just filling the page with words here? Well, they, yeah. What's all this about, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's because they were right at the beginning of role-playing, weren't they? They were yeah. right there at the beginning. So it was all new, uncharted territory to some extent. Yeah, and they were very prolific at this point, weren't they? So at the beginning of the 80s, there was a lot of stuff coming out. Um, so you can imagine the deadlines were tight. Um, yeah, and I suppose as well, it, it's probably that thing, isn't it, of, you know... Is the travel adventure something that the designers played and then turned into an adventure? Oh, most definitely, yeah. But when you do that, you know from your own experience, when you write an adventure to play with your friends, you don't flesh bits out. You have bits in your head that you remember and bit, have bits yeah. where you've not written it down, but you think, well, if it goes that way, I'm going to do that, but I won't write that down. And maybe when you have to then repackage that as a commercial product for other people, it does lead to those gaps and bits yeah. that don't quite stack up you yeah. know maybe maybe as you said the, the players in travel adventure not it's difficult to motivate them you've got that thing of every episode starting or you're at a loose end but maybe their players were motivated and played it in a very different way yes and and, and yeah. that's something they just perhaps thought everyone would everyone would do that that's how you played it that's how they yeah. played it why wouldn't everyone else play it like that so there are those aspects I think so as we close um, close that chapter in our gaming history, playing that for the third time, mm. in another um, thirty years' time, can you see us playing it again? Probably, yeah. In the in the <laughs> we won't remember role, retired role players residential hall, <laughs> sitting in a circle. Everyone else is watching Loose Women. And we're playing role playing in the corner. And you'll still fall for the Space Monkeys. Still fall for Space Monkeys. You won't be able to remember it. <laughs> and I suppose the. Um, Biggest achievement of it all is actually the formation of another game group. That's the best thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we've got another game group out of it. That's true. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much for that, by the Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. And Chad! Okay, so I'm heading down to the bottom of the garden to Eddie's bargain shed. It looks like a, some kind of space pod this time. Hang on, I'll knock on. Come on! Can I just get through this airlock here? Right. Hello there, Eddie. Hello there, Dirk. Now, Eddie, you were one of the uh, brave travellers who uh, beamed from this very shed into mm -hmm. my... Un un dead under the stairs to play Traveller every fortnight. That's correct. So I just thought I'd ask you, what were your highlights? It, uh, I enjoyed most of it when I could attend. I think there was a few sessions that I missed, but uh, for the most part, I liked... The section that I remember thinking about it was the uh, Hal's descent into madness towards the end, <laughs> where he started to shoot people left, right, and centre, <laughs> and we had no way of controlling him. <laughs> yeah, so this was when uh, when you were uh, space pirates, wasn't it, and uh, getting on board ships, and um, the mild-mannered uh, steward Bertie was Bert, called. Yeah. 
uh, suddenly went insane and started killing people indiscriminately. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think all the way through it, Ed, you, your character, Brett, was the one that was uh, advising caution, which is not usually the role you play, is it? Uh, well, I always like a bit of adventure. I always like to get stuck in. I don't like to say, let's sit back, lads, but I think the medic... That was probably my extent of my role-playing, I think, where, <laughs> <laughs> where I thought, a medic, well, he'll not be gung-ho. But considering he was failing all his, uh, what's it called, Ro- medic roles and succeeding all his uh, gunnery roles, and uh, <laughs> I think he was slightly changing towards the end. That was it. You were a medic who was a hopeless as a medic, but um, you, when it came to tactics and um, battlefield manoeuvres, you were kind of one step ahead of everybody else. Yeah, right? it's just the look of the roles, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me that way. Now, back in the day, you actually uh, refereed this uh, adventure. When you were playing, did any of it come back to you? Not a bit. Really? Not, not one bit came back. I have no recollection of, of refereeing it at all. If I did, I probably... You, you, I think you said I'd got through quite far but my view I didn't think I, I, if I did I'd refereed more than two or three games see this was back in the day when we would play constantly so we'd probably burn through this in a week wouldn't we that's probably what happened to tell yeah. you the truth we uh, probably started on a, a Sunday and we, by Wednesday we were halfway through and then we probably stopped for some reason <laughs> and then went back and then that got uh, brushed out to my memory <laughs> like so many things like so many things for some strange reason <laughs> so what um, what do you think of uh, travelling coming back to it is it you know it's not it's not a game that we've been playing around the table is it something that we you think we should and build into our regular repertoire. I think, uh, as a game, I think it was so, so suited for Roll20. And it was far, far simpler uh, than than any of the any other games we've played. I mean, it was just a case of rolling above eight yeah. with 2d6, for those yeah. who don't know. And that was so simple. I mean, you go on about Tunnels and Trolls being a very, very simple game, but... When we were playing online, it just seemed, God, I bet the rules with this must have taken up a page because yeah. it would just roll above eight, you succeed. I think what Mongoose have done is taken the that mechanic because I think the that mechanic is applied in the earlier editions that we used to play, but it's less consistently applied, um, right. so it doesn't work in quite the same way. Similarly, the um, uh, some of the uh, vehicle and um, Starship stuff is more complicated in the earlier versions, but it seemed fairly lightweight, didn't it, in this version? Yeah, the the Starship thing, I thought, went really well. I think that worked really good on Roll20. Yeah. Far better than you could around a table, because you had the screen as your star map, and you could move the tokens that are supplied yeah. with Roll20, and it, and it worked on a laptop. And maybe that's one of the things, because it's a sci-fi uh, game... It works on a laptop better because it's a computer based, isn't it? So yeah. it's kind of almost fits. So before I go, there's one challenge I need to put to you. Right? <laughs> I know that on one occasion for one of the sessions, you nearly turned down the chance of playing Traveller to watch Taken 3. <laughs> why, why was that? <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? Well, we'd had carpets <laughs> fitted all the way through the house and <laughs> I was knackered. So I sat down and I thought, right, I'm not playing 
traveller now and watch you taking three. Taking three? Take not taking th- one or two. <laughs> three? It's the well, worst think- one. 20, yeah, but 20 minutes in, I realised it was bad. So then I joined you on, uh, on travel. I couldn't stand any more Liam Neeson. <laughs> uh, I'll let you off, but be, be aware that I've noted it in Dirk's book. <laughs> Cheers, Eddie. Okay, up. Postbag! Well, there's a general absence of positive affirmations that I crave as a needy games master, so maybe I'll have more luck in my postbag. The ex-boat has arrived with these messages from the other players. Okay, here's um, Steve, who played Captain Ollie. He said, The highlight for me was giving me the push to start playing again. Worth its weight in diamonds. And also getting the chance to play a game that I've owned for half of my life, but only ever looked at. It was good that in the game, that could be as goofy as ours. There were moments of genuine tension and paranoia, and particularly thinking about flushing out the stowaway. Okay, thanks for that, Steve. Uh, here's Joe, who played the neurotic pilot, Frank. He said, The travel adventure was great. There was a feeling of embarking on a potentially epic story. We had plenty of laughs and moments of real tension. Some highlights included the cold sweat that Frank broke out into when he tried to carefully manoeuvre the dropship to rescue his team in a high-speed car chase, and also the tense Mexican standoff at Aramanx. The variety of planetary experiences was exciting, each quite different. They really led to the feeling that we were travelling through the galaxy, and absorbing a completely new experiences. The political conspiratorial aspect was really good, giving depth and something to get us all thinking. The pace and the story worked well, keeping us guessing until the very last moment. I am now a massive traveller fan. Oh, thanks for that, Joe. That's good. OK, uh, next is Ben who played Franco, he said, I thought the political and trade elements helped to set the scene and tone of the game. These were expertly highlighted through the intergalactic Brooklyn accent, which was worth tuning the ear to. I love geeking out to the space-age kit viewed through the 1980s tech and expectations. I thought the gameplay was simple and made it fun to play. I think as a group... We tried to role-play with a capital R, which added to my enjoyment of the game. And this was enhanced by the way that we used the rules in order to facilitate the game rather than hinder it. As a result, I thought it was great fun. I must admit to getting a bit obsessed with the concept of the space dog pirates. My dog now responds to the name Gavudzen. Thanks, Ben. I should add that Ben was the first player in my years and years of experiences playing RPGs that actually fell asleep during play during one of my games. He was snoring and everything. He said he'd had a hard day. Laying carpets or whatever the excuse is. Perhaps I'll need to work harder on my uh, refereeing skills. Maybe next time. 
maybe next time but uh, I'm going to pack away the traveler adventure for another 30 years until we get a chance to play in that retirement home I really want to see if I can make the bureaucracy scenario work effectively maybe in another 30 years I'll get the chance I want to say thanks to all the other letters we've received about Traveller. I'm going to respond to them on thegrognardfiles.com. Over this month, we've had a tremendous boost to our Patreon campaign. Thank you all who support us with a tip in the beret. The podcast will always be free, but the tips you provide helps us to cover the costs of running the podcast and to find material for future episodes. I'll do a report for Patreons at the end of the year so you can get an idea of how we've used your contributions. Importantly, it's encouraged us to do other projects such as the fanzine and the online club. We had the first game, the Sea Caves for RuneQuest. Really good fun and a real sense of creating a community around these bobbins. Uh, What you've got to remember is to play is the thing and the next game will be early in the new year look out for that on patreon to put your name forward so i want to say thank you to robert fisher miles cochran and jason Connolly for their one dollar a month contribution they are now honorary members of the armchair adventurers club as are the following who have joined or raised their tip to three and a half dollars before the end of september 2016 to secure a hard copy of this year's fanzine so this is to say thank you to tony farina michael beck curtis deledge chris farina chris harvey james turner chris stevens callum neil bloomfield and simon parrins thank you very much for those that five dollars a month i usually give a virtual gift rolled from a table from the subject covered in the episode there are not many tables in this adventure there are wandering bureaucrats which might come in handy if you're ordering a fishing permit but i thought i'd go for the found item table for aramanx imagine being on a planet with only the clothes you stand up in and you have a business meeting interrupted by the building you're in being torpedoed. Grab what you can and make yourself safe after making a difficult recon roll. So here we go. Adam Brooks on a 1d6. Well, you've got one. That's uh, you get some uh, dehydrated food. So that's a jerky to chew on. Thanks, Adam. Okay, uh, Graham. Uh, Kinneber, five, five, that's uh, ammunition, which is useless unless you want to chuck bullets at people. Okay, Uh, next up is Adam Williams. Thanks, Adam. And you get three, camping gear. So you can go uh, glamping in the war zone with your chintzy billy can. Uh, Richard Spainhauer is next and you've got four that's electronics equipment well thanks Richard Uh, so it says here you can have infrared goggles so you can find your keys when you lose them and finally 
uh, Bill Foreman. Uh, thanks, Bill. Uh, you get, well, you get a medical kit, a band-aid to stick, uh, and, a, and a stick of witch hazel. There you go. Well, thank you very much for your support to all of you. Now, I'm really excited to bring you the next episode. It's another two-parter. So just cover your ears uh, at Daily Dwarf for we're going to look at the UK rival to White Dwarf, Imagine Magazine. And uh, Paul Coburn, the editor, will be providing an insider's view of TSI UK and the UK game scene. Until then, I'm off to watch Taken 3. Yeah, honestly, Taken 3. Unbelievable. Adios, amigos.